This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that tries to keep its ego in check, but damn, that is hard when you are this good. Oh, dear. I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. <laughs> G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. When Andrew says this good, he's talking about himself. I'm much more. I'm not, I'm not more humble than two. But you can't fight the facts, <laughs> is all I can tell you. Can't fight the moonlight either, but that's a Leanne Ryan story we're not going to go into. It's different altogether. Indeed. What are we going to talk about today? A whole bunch of stuff. We thought that we would... We would talk a bit about war and what is it good for, um, specifically in relation to Trump and China. It's back in the news again. Um, we also are going to have a look at the various sporting codes in the country and look at that through the lens of money, as Ooh. in which one, which code makes the most money and why and what kind of value can be extracted there. Also, ethics in investing, something that's gaining a little bit of ground in recent years. It is. Does it matter? And uh, specifically recently with one particular social media scandal. Exactly. So we'll definitely dive into that. We'll okay. do a bit of mailbag too. And I think it's my turn to jump on the old high horse. Oh, God. Looking forward to that. <laughs> so first, <laughs> let's talk about Mr. Trump. Oh, so he's, he's threatened uh, China with a, a, a trade war. Now, yeah. what more recently... Just overnight, in fact, he said $60 billion worth of tariffs, 25% tariff. Uh, you've been stealing our intellectual property. We're going to do a bit of a tit for tat. And the, the reason, well, I guess there's there's a whole bunch of reasons why that's important. <laughs> the immediate reaction yeah. was a 300-point plunge on the Dow Jones. Indeed. And uh, our market hasn't opened yet as we go to where, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go out there and say that the Aussie market's probably not going to react too well to that. So just put that in context, the Dow closed off 2.9% mm. overnight. That's you don't, you don't, yeah, let's call it 3% on year yeah. enough. You don't often see those kinds of falls uh, in a single day. No, sir. So the market is understandably quite worried. Yep. And I guess it's, it's worried because not only in terms of what has been threatened, but the potential for this to escalate. Yeah. So then China goes, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to do this. And then Trump goes, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to do this. And it goes on and on and on. That's what you want. You're going to be stuck between two knuckleheads having an argument. Yeah. That's a, that's a good place that's to be. That's really, and, and frankly, the world's number one and two economies Killing as well. Me. So there is going to be potentially a whole bunch of collateral damage. Mm -hmm. And poor little Australia, and we are very, very little <laughs> in the are. grand scheme of things. We really are. What is it, 2% of the global economy? Uh, last, I don't know 2% of the global, 2% of the global stock market anyway. Oh, sorry, I that, right. I know that's true. Right. I think we're probably slightly smaller in terms of global economy size. So even less. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, you say, given that the, the, the US is an important trading partner and China is a very important <laughs> trade partner. What could possibly go wrong? Mate, what do you think? Where's this, where's this going to go? Oh, man. I, I mean, I've ranted on, I've ranted on tariffs and Trump before and I don't It was only a couple of weeks ago we talked a bit about it. So you want me to do it again? Yeah, why not? <laughs> One trick. So, so, well, and I will say again, our listeners will have seen the market response by the time they, they, they get this, but our market in the futures looked like off about it. One and a half, 2%. Yeah. It's going to be messy on the ASX today. Uh, look, here's the thing. I think there's a short-term, long-term problem going on here. It's very, very easy to say that by raising tariffs, you stop the bad stuff happening. And that's probably actually true to some degree. I, you know, I will say for, for as much disdain as I have for Donald Trump's economic policy, mm -hmm. separate the politics from the policy, um, I think the policy is, is, is very, very regressive. We're going back to the 50s and 60s. The last 50 years of economic growth globally has come from a lowering of tariff barriers. That is just unquestionably true. Mm -hmm. The increase in standard of living over the last half century is phenomenal. Um, think about, think about, think 50 years back. Think about the things we were using, the prices we were paying. Um, I read something the other day, and this was on a housing topic, but I won't ask you to talk about housing, Andrew, or we'll have run out of time on the podcast. Did someone say housing? No. Uh, the, the, the price of, um, the, the average house deposit now was apparently back in you know, 30 years ago was the equivalent of a couple of flights to London. 
Now it's equivalent of 140 flights to London mm. because the price of flights has fallen so incredibly far. Mm. So the story of, of the last 50 years is not only just increasing in real wage or nominal wages on a per hour basis, but how bloody cheap everything has become because we're trading off our respective competitive advantages. And that's mm. what we talked about when we talked mm -hmm. about it a couple of weeks ago. So take it back a step. Putting up trade barriers just makes everything more expensive for everybody. Mm. If you put a tariff on China's imports into US, mm. those prices go up. Mm. The average American can buy less of them and somehow that's supposed to protect things. Now, in the short term, it probably does. Mm. It probably gives the average manufacturing company in the US an extra couple of years worth of lifeline. It's easy to say, hey, I'm saving jobs. That's absolutely all true on a very specific basis. But on an economic basis, if we had to go back to the 1970s and drive the quality of car we had with the quality of manufacturing we had, the expensive TVs we had to buy, mm. all that stuff, we'd be saving a couple of hundred thousand jobs, which are now, by the way, gone somewhere else. Now, total mm. employment workforce has grown dramatically. Mm. But we'd have terrible stuff and we'd be paying a high price for it. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a short-term sugar hit and it feels good. And frankly, it's probably electorally popular because, mm -hmm. hey, saving jobs, who doesn't want that? Mm. It's costing Americans an absolute truckload of cash over the next four or five years if they stay in place because they're paying more for the stuff they're buying. Okay. makes them less, less you know, um, uh, effective in a, com in a competitive sense. It's just generally bad all around. Okay. So we, we kind of covered that ground um, already, but I guess where I wanted to sort of dig into this is let's... <laughs> is, that, is that code for we're going to cut this from the podcast later? <laughs> yeah, if we can. Boring. Yeah, make, make a note. Um, uh, but, you know, it's all about me at the end of the day. And, uh, <laughs> which is, which just very quickly, is exactly why this policy is going to be electorally popular, by the way. Because yes, like, yeah, yes. economics, blah, 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 blah. Is my job safer? Yes. Yes. That, Great. That, then I'll vote for you. Or do I, is, is the perception that my job is safer? Right. Probably even more importantly, Correct. but 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 let's let's look at things from an, an, an Aussie perspective. Yeah, we're we're on the sidelines here. Yeah. Well, we're going to get dragged in the middle of it, but we're not going to be have much say about it. That's the problem. How how does the Aussie economy? Let's say that they do. Let's say that the US uh, massively increases um, tariff barriers yep. for Chinese imports. Yep. China retaliates and does the same thing. Are we going to have to choose sides? Because there are all kinds of geopolitical considerations mm -hmm. there as well. Or or, or does it or do, do, do these Two big dogs just sort of keep it amongst themselves or do other people inexorably get dragged in? So you just said, let's not talk about big, scary geopolitical issues. Let's talk about bigger, scary geopolitical issues. <laughs> but how it this relates is my, back to This is my wheelhouse. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, then, I, then I'm going to ask you, just as a heads up, I'm going to ask you what stocks are, are, okay. on the Aussie market are going to get impacted. So look, I think here's the, here's the thing. I think, honestly, again, the short term, we probably slightly benefit from this because if Chinese steel is more expensive in the US, for example, mm -hmm. then Australian steel, by, by comparison relatively to that Chinese steel, actually becomes a little bit cheaper. And so, and also we've been given a, a window from Trump about our exports into the US. Mm -hmm. So to some degree in the short term, we probably actually benefit even slightly because of that. Okay. The bigger issue is it's going to really chill the winds of global trade and that will impact absolutely everybody. So when you start to see a change in how those things work and how they, if China, if, if China doesn't grow as fast, mm -hmm. guess where all of our iron ore goes? Yeah. Guess where most of our industrial commodities go? Mm -hmm. the, the, Australian, the Australian impact, frankly, of this, if... The Chinese economy is harmed by it, and it probably well, will almost be. certainly will be. Exactly. It is a reduction in demand for the stuff we make, the stuff we produce. And that's not, by, by the way, just iron ore. Think about the growth in Chinese tourism in Australia. I think it's 20-odd percent a year it's growing at the moment. You, you'd reduce that because the Chinese economy doesn't grow quite as fast. There is, there is really significant across the economy impacts when it comes to our relationship with China and the trade value we get from that. Our exposure to the U.S. actually is not anywhere near as much because we don't send many of our raw commodities to, to the U.S. Um, so it's not so much an American impact directly, but they may well cause a chilling of the world economy. If that happens, as a net exporter, as a country that exports a lot of our primary commodities in particular, yeah. we really have a bit to lose. So if I was looking at all of this and I'm an active ASX investor and I'm trying to sort of see, you know, yep. trying to work an angle here. <laughs> how, can I, how can, again, it's all about me. How yeah. can I 
profit or at least protect my downside as an Aussie investor? I, look, I have to say, my, my general view is I would look straight through this. I think, you know, Trump's in power for another three, maybe seven years if we're incredibly unlucky. And again, I, I speak policy well. Although we've got a bet on the sidelines that it could be a lot longer than that. If you... we, should, we, should we go into that? Uh, no. Okay. Because I stand to lose a lot of money. I'll ask you about that later. <laughs> uh, we, I will get back to that, listeners. Don't worry. Stay tuned. We will ask Andrew about that at the end of the podcast. Um, so here's the thing. I, so I look through it. I think there's going to be changes in, in tariff policy over time. The biggest risk is this becomes a global multi-decade chilling of trade policy because mm. other other future presidents or, or potentially the president of China won't step away from this stuff and it takes yeah. a while to get de-escalated. De um, but I would look through it and say I wouldn't bother. In the, in the short term, if you were worried about it, particularly in terms of volatility in your portfolio, the answer is probably to stick with companies that aren't export or import exposed. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to invest in a company that's, that's doing business with the rest of the world mm -hmm. or who is being impacted by import prices with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of back to domestic economies, retail, retail companies in particular, probably, mm -hmm. or, or IT or um, intellectual property type companies mm -hmm. that don't have that import export problem. So if you, if, if you were particularly worried about it and you wanted to do something, I would avoid export or import exposed industries to use that horrible cliche. Mm -hmm. um, but frankly, I wouldn't change how I was investing. I would say, though, if you are the investor who has a very overweight mining position in your portfolio or construction manufacturing position in your portfolio, I really would reassess that. I would reassess just, that anyway. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. So yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change what I'm doing. Yeah. But if I was someone else who had a, a differently structured portfolio, I wouldn't want to be particularly exposed to, to miners, uh, to manufacturing right now. My thoughts tend to be, I, I, I get there's a very natural sort of urge to, to, to want to act or right. react when these kinds of things happen. And, yeah. and what and do I do now? What do I do? What do I do? I yeah. need to, I need to, sitting on my hands is, 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 is negligent <laughs> almost and yeah. it's silly. So I get that. But the trouble I have is that the thing with economics, like so many other things, that there are first order impacts and then there's second order, third order, fourth order. And right. it, it is almost, well, it is very much a, what a mathematician would call a chaotic system. You right. know, it's a butterfly theory kind of stuff. So, you know, it is extraordinarily hard, almost impossible, I would say, to look at a impact and then try and guess accurately mm. in any way, shape or form, the, the actual impact and the mm. timing. It comes very, 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 very difficult. Then you've also got the the other dynamic, which is the, these these feedback loops that they, they go they feed on themselves as well. So mm -hmm. there's what would happen under one set of stimulus, but then one side reacts and another side reacts again. And it could be that we see Trump gone in a couple of years and someone comes back in and undoes it all, or it could be as to your point it goes. So you you start right, going right. down this rabbit hole of what do I do? It's, you can have two of the smartest Harvard educated <laughs> economists in the world with teams of extraordinarily intelligent, well-paid researchers, and they'll come up with very different conclusions and they'll both be extraordinarily plausible. Mm. So for me, it, it comes back to your point. Well, I'm not doing anything different. I'm sticking to my, my process, my strategy, right, right. you know, my, my long-term vision, understanding that I'm investing in a chaotic, uncertain world and just trying to do the best I can under that scenario. And, and, and what does that all mean in simple language? Just stick with good companies, <laughs> buying them at central prices, understanding that it'll be a bumpy ride and that you'll get a few wrong, but right. over time it'll be okay. I, I listen to, we, we that, that tends to be our response to most things, Andrew. And we, we've talked about this I on the podcast. Know, and when we, when we kind of talk about this beforehand, we say, what do we say now? Just it. do nothing. And, but, but you know, it's true. And I was listening to a very different podcast, actually. It turned to be about nutrition. Um, mm -hmm. It's a big ideas podcast. And they were talking about, you know, this, this nutritionist was saying, how do I get on national TV? with a great new thing. They want, they want excitement. They want controversy. They want something. Yeah. And my advice is, well, eat sensibly, eat a, variety, eat a varied diet, 
don't overindulge. It's like every that's kind weight, of advice, weight right? loss plan you've ever well, had. Well, exactly. Right? But it's... the ones that get the, the, the something diet gets the headlines because it's new and it's different and it's kind yes. of and a celebrity's and doing it, you know. So... And so you know, and I guess I, we would probably draw that parallel. Yes, Absolutely. you can jump from fad to fad to fad, yep. or you can say, you know what, we know what works. As much as it feels like we're being repetitive, and we are, if if nothing else, if we get that through to our, most of our listeners, and say, guys, we get that you want something exciting and new and different and big and right now the best thing you can do is actually do the sensible thing and let it compound for you. You'd be very, very glad you did. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's talk sport. Yes. And let's talk specifically about the AFL. Um, The AFL uh, will reveal a record almost $49 million surplus Oof. for its 2017 financial year. That's it is nice. the most profitable sporting code in the country by quite a way, by, by quite a way. It's actually got um, an income of $650 million. The balance sheet has $400 million worth of assets or near enough on it. Now let's put this in into perspective. Now we should you. say before you do, luckily mm-hmm. we have an AFL expert here with us. Liam Flanagan, one of the best young callers in the business on the Triple M Network. Well, I was going to bring young Liam in. S- certainly not on the financial aspects of it. That's not something I have to prepare for. <laughs> That's okay. We're not experts in finance anyway. So we're all, we're on the same page. Okay. All, all I'll say, mate, is you are in the right game. There is, there is money to be made here. And, well, the AFL makes about $650 million, uh, each. Well, they... Their top line, their revenue, their sales, six hundred fifty million dollars. Right. Uh, the NRL, three hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, That's so second, almost that, twice as big. Second place. Yeah. Cricket, three hundred and thirteen mil in in revenue. Of that, they only make 50, only fifty million dollars <laughs> in in profit. Now go down to to rugby, and these guys are making three point seven million dollars per year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that much. They're even one hundred twenty million dollars in sales. It's mm-hmm. a pretty small margin. Poor old the um, the FFA, the Football Federation Australia, a much uh, a smaller code, well, I suppose. Soccer, as I like to call it, just to really annoy most of our listeners who <laughs> want to call it football. Fo- football for Apology. everyone else. Uh, uh, <laughs> soccer, come on. One hundred and five million dollars, but they actually make a loss. <laughs> they actually lose about three hundred grand a year at this point in time. So I guess the first question is this: mm. If I'm one of these, if I'm I'm the league, how do I make money? Where does my money? If I'm the AFL, yeah. Where does my money come from? So the first thing we should say, the AFL isn't there to make money directly. It's actually due, it's supposed to be putting money back into the sport. So to mm-hmm. some degree, the profit number kind of matters because it gives them some sort of war chest to kind of keep reinvesting in future years. Yep. But their job is to redeploy that cash into, kind, into growth. Kind of right? like an RSL club, right? They're, like, they're not allowed to make a profit, but they should reinvest I love that the fact back into the community. I love the fact we're trolling our Victorian listeners by saying, it's kind of like an RSL. <laughs> I love that. Oh, sorry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think, go, think before you speak. I'm going to leave for a second. Mate, what, what's your best guess on why the AFL is so profitable? Oh, wow. Question without notice. Yeah, but that's totally. No, look, um, I, I agree that it's what some people probably don't realise about the AFL is, is how much they do prop up some of the clubs in the competition. Right. There are some clubs who uh, annually are handed millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars by the AFL mm. just to survive. So the clubs themselves aren't super profitable. In fact, I think there's probably only three or four clubs which are regularly profitable. Mm. Um, it's a national sport, which has got over both rugby Liam codes. Is, Liam is bragging here, guys, just, just so we're all clear. Which automatically means it's got a it's got access to, you know, more wallets, more hands in pockets, going to games, attending venues. Right. Um, and it's audience. and it's a it's a bigger audience yeah. that, that samples the product. I also think and it's not uh, it's not a popular tack that the AFL is taking at the moment, but I love the fact that they are pushing expansion. Right. Uh, trying to take the product to China. Um, Port Adelaide's 
took the first yes. ever game for points to uh, Shanghai last year. Mm. Uh, they're doing the same again this year. And now there's discussions taking place to take a game to India, which Jeff Kennett is very much opposed to. But right. uh, the AFL is, is trying things. They have a great product. It's obviously a financially successful product, mm. but they are not resting on the laurels of that product. Mate, I reckon that, to, to my mind, so Andrew, partly to your point, and partly in response mm. to Liam, I reckon one of the great things the AFL's done is what we would ask most companies to do, and I think it's actually what the other codes haven't done anywhere near well enough, mm. is to invest in the long term. So you think about when Sid, the Swans first turned up in Sydney, or even when Western Sydney then came about, the Lions having emerged with, or the Bears having emerged with Fitzroy, go to, you know, stay in Brisbane. They seem to have made those kind of tough but long-term focused calls to to, in, to ensure that stuff grew. Mm. The NRLs tried it a couple of times. They went to WA, they pulled out. They went to South Australia, they pulled out. It kind of feels like they haven't had the the, the, the guts, the money, the something to stay the course and really invest like properly in long-term success. Well, and to that point continuing, Tasmania is a perfect example of the AFL's business strategy because Tasmania right. is a is an AFL state. It mm. is a, it is an AFL heartland. They love the sport down there. They are. They don't have a, a an AFL team. They mm. don't have a league team, and they're not likely to get one mm. because it is a captured audience. That audience, there is no, <laughs> right. there, there's no new audience to be won go? there for right. the AFL. Right. Yeah. Whereas Western Sydney, which is where they launched the Giants five mm. six years ago, was a was a new frontier with brand new eyes and brand new wallets mm. to be won. And so they've spent the money out there, even though it's not a traditional AFL area. Right, right. Mate, is it also fair to say too, sports not my forte, as you two blokes know, um, uh, is it also fair to say that they get a, a much bigger share of the, the female audience, whereas the other sports tend to be very male-dominated? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah I, I think so. Somewhere? I think yeah. there's definitely a, you know, the perception being reality. I think there's a very large perception that AFL is a much more female-friendly audience. Mm. Again, if you're competing against the rugby codes... Uh, it's it's apparent it appears less um, violent, which means mm. the they want mums want their right. kids to play, dads want yep. their kids to play because when little Tom, Dick, and Harry want or or Sally now with the women's code, right. when they want to go out and keep them involved in sport, they don't want them getting hurt. Yeah. And odd the Oz Kick program that mm. the AFL runs nationwide is a very successful program. Talk about long term investing, hey those right. those young junior programs that is really smart. Mm. I, I think look, I'll, I'll I'll try and wrap this so we can move on. But I think from my mind, there's a couple of things. Liam Bosch mentioned the national part. The yes. TV rights are so incredibly important. If you can two and a half billion dollar broadcast. Right. So you can sell the same game in New South Wales and Queensland, yep. like rugby, yep. but also Victoria, Tasmania, SAWA, and frankly around the world. Mm. That's a much, much bigger pool of, of money for the same game. You yeah. play one game once, it's about economies of scale. Yeah. If you can sell that in seven cities rather than two or three, yeah. that's a huge, huge advantage. On top of that, I think, to Liam's point again, the, the schools program, This is they, they are... I'm look. I'm a, I'm a league and union fan because I grew up in New South Wales. I love my Swans, by the way. Giants are the second best team in New South Wales. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So I, I think you know when it comes to uh, you know AFL have just have, have run this business so incredibly, incredibly, incredibly well. They are streets ahead of the other codes. They've invested in the future. They've invested in in, in the kids stuff. They've invested in women's sport, which is brilliant. Like the the AFLW or WAFL, which one is it? AFLW. AFLW. Thank you. You know, women's coach is doing so fantastically well, getting massive props, mm. lots of support, lots of team involvement. Like these guys are just, if you're sitting there as one of the other codes looking at that going, why are we not doing this stuff? They, mm. they are just doing a spectacular, spectacular job. They deserve every applaud that they're getting. And the and the other thing I will throw into the mix lastly, and then I'll shut up um, <laughs> because I'm hitting out of my zone, is that they, the next step for the AFL is they've purchased they now own Etihad Stadium in right. Melbourne. Ah, yes. They have taken back. They have in the off season, or I think it was it was done last year. But they Agatha. now own that that precinct, 
and you watch what they turn that into <laughs> over the next two years. It yeah. will That will just yeah. be an, yet another massive revenue stream for the coach. They took on a bit of debt to do that too, but I actually think that's going to be – I'm with you. I think that's going to be a very, very savvy mm. investment. Mm. Um, so I guess really the, the take-home from there is that sport is a very big business, and but it is it – is, like any business, it depends how well you run it. And, and AFL is absolutely top of the pops. I think that's a pops. really good point. And frankly, rugby union should, should be doing nothing but watching AFL for a year and then going and doing whatever strategies that work there. Yeah. Rugby is just being run so incredibly badly. It, it pains me to say, because I do love my rugby, um, just being run so incredibly badly compared to what the AFL has been able to do. It's, it's, it's a real crying shame. Now, before we move on, okay. Liam, when can we hear you on the Triple M Network? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you, Scott. Mm. Uh, this, you can hear, well, I'm on Monday to Friday with uh, MG, the Rush Hour with MG, 6pm till 7pm. program. 104.9 uh, Triple M in Sydney. If you're in Sydney, otherwise you can grab the podcast via the Triple M app. Same place you can grab the Motley Fools very podcast. Uh, but also this weekend, you'll be, I'm doing GWS Western Bulldogs on the Sunday and Gold Coast Suns versus the Kangaroos on Saturday evening. Oh, what, very good. What's your tip? Who's going to win? Uh, for the oh, Gold Coast v Kangaroos, they're probably two teams going to be fighting out for a bottom four spot. I'll say <laughs> okay. the Suns because they're playing up in Cairns at Kazali Stadium, so the humidity I don't think it's going to do the Kangaroos any favour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and for the Giants, you've got to go to the Giants. Okay. Giants, Giants. I know you're a Swans man. It could be an all-Sydney grand final this year, actually. There we go. The Giants should, Giants should be too strong for the Bulldogs. Thank you, Matt. Watch. Seriously, I'm, I'm not kidding. Liam Liam does a spectacular job with MG during the week and totally. a spectacular job on the weekend. So check it out. If you, if you aren't listening to Liam Flanagan, you are missing out, I promise you. Very well said. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's talk a bit about ethics. And, oh dear. and Is this an intervention? We're, we are really covering some wide territory uh, on this podcast. I'm just, I'm just worried it's intervention. Are you going to tell me I've done something wrong or is this a, is a lesson in ethics for me or something? Mate, yeah, the, the, the demons will come at night. If you've done something wrong, it, yeah, there's a little guy on no, your what, shoulder that's, that's saying. That's not the demons, mate. That's the police. <laughs> if you get a knock on the door, it's not the what demons are you doing? knocking. <laughs> oh, we really, we really uh, tripped over something here. So I guess... I guess Guilty conscious, you without, without getting way down the rabbit hole yes. here. So uh, ethics... Uh, or ethical investing is yes. in this phenomenon that's sort of it's a relatively recent phenomenon where people are basically saying, "Look, I want to invest. I want to make money. That's that's the point of investing. Yep. But I want to do it in an ethical way. Mm -hmm. I want to do it in a way that is a, a net positive for society, um, not just for my wallet." Yep. Um, and frankly, it's something that that quite resonates with me. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually get many of our members often talking about it and asking about it. Right. Um, but, but where it gets tricky is that, and this is why there are whole philosophical departments devoted to this kind of stuff and why it's deba debated, <laughs> been debated for decades and will be, well, centuries and will be debated <laughs> for centuries more, is that it's it's something that's very hard to be 100% objective on. Yes. It's, so, it's actually incredible because it is a subjective uh, pursuit by definition. Yes. So, so it, it's great examples are out there. So some might say, I don't want to invest in uh, oil companies. Right. Because uh, it's polluting, it damages the environment, mm -hmm. um, and you know they just don't have a great rep. Scumbags. And other people might say, "Well, yes, but it is the engine for the global economy, and yeah. that has brought a lot of good about." Yeah, go the oil companies. So you, you, you can argue various things in, in different different ways. Right. Um, so I, I guess the question I have for you is: A, are you an ethical investor? No, you're not an ethic. You don't care. No, at all. Uh, I don't think my wife would let me buy any gun makers or cigarette companies. Put it that way. Okay. I, if, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Ruth, you would. <laughs> so here's the here's the thing. Um, 
So, so ethical investing is really important. I, I have absolute utmost respect for who choose to do it that way. Yep. I, I think that's a great thing to do. And it's all about the individual preference, right? Mm-hmm. And as much as that sounds like a PC argument, that's actually kind of the case. Yeah. If you don't want to invest in companies you find ethical, don't do it. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have is that at the end of the day, if I buy shares, let's say you own shares in Smith & Wesson, mm-hmm. right? The, the gun maker, I don't know if they listed, but let's assume they are in the US. Okay. If you sell your shares to me, nothing changes for the company. The shares are already out there. The money's already been received by the company once upon a time they're listed. Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense whether you own the company, I own the company, Liam owns the company, or Uncle Bob owns the company. Mm. It's the same company doing the same things with the same number of shares, with the same profits. It makes absolutely zero difference. So whether I own the company or not, makes absolutely no difference. It makes some difference. And I would here's my argument. Oh, my argument would, would be that the more we cut this out later, the Link? more people who are I will not no. be censored. <laughs> there are more people oh, you will. out there that, that uh, uh, have a vested interest and shareholders have a vested interest. And yep. the more support that they have for that, yep. the, the the greater the premium the shares will trade at. The greater the premium the shares trade at, the lower to not to get too nerdy, but the lower the cost <laughs> of capital for that company. So for shares that trade at a high premium, they can they can raise money by selling more shares. Mm-hmm. So when you see a company that's trading on a nice high multiple because people are really positive towards that, um, that's going to enable them to undertake investments that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. So it actually, it actually does help them continue to do what they do. And if you're against that, then, you know, your, your participation, your support, your encouragement for all of that in an indirect way mm. actually feeds into that. Now, on the other hand, everyone thought this is terrible. I don't want anything to do with it. And the shares trade at a, you know, a multiple of three or four times earnings, their cost of capital relatively is much, much higher. Mm. Do you want to acknowledge you're wrong now or do you want me to prove that you're wrong? Uh, okay. I'll just depend. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> so I don't want to paint myself into a corner. Andrew, what is the best performing company on the US stock market over the last I, 15 I years? I know what this is. This is Altria. Altria. What does Altria do? They make cigarettes. Oh. Cool. So we move on then. Uh, All right. No, Let's no. Move on. So it's, a new, it's a really fascinating point. And the reason <laughs> is, is when you, when you dig into Altria's success is that rather than trying to fight this this very, very huge secular trend of decreasing smoking rates and, and all of this other kind of stuff, is that they have really avoided reinvesting into the business. Mm-hmm. So they've got these machines, they've got these processes, they're actually really, really quiet. Or they spend a bare minimum and they have they are running this thing for cash. And, and they just haven't needed to raise capital. Mm-hmm. So they've been a wonderfully successful business because they have, they have very, I, I suppose, uh, realistic management in terms of where the long-term future is. Yep. And they're just, they're not plowing lots and lots and lots of money into that thing to, to try and make it grow. They're just, they're running it for cash and therefore are not reliant on public market capital. Exactly. Okay. So, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be, I, look, I think you are, you are technically right. And there are some businesses. The best, that would, the best kind of right. Do we write in theory or do you want to make money? Uh, there are some companies out there who absolutely do need to continue to raise capital. And to the extent that people avoid their shares, if it's done at a large enough extent, that absolutely can have an impact on their ability to do so. Yep. I think, honestly, mate, I think the cost of capital argument, I just have never, ever bought that. Mm-hmm. There's this, the idea of a whack or a weighted average cost of capital. And there's lots of algorithmic and arithmetic, arithmetic ways of calculating that kind of rubbish. I was at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting a few years ago. And someone said, uh, Charlie Munger, what's your what's your uh, expectation for average weight, weight of average cost of capital? Da, da, da. He said, I have no idea. Our job is to take a dollar and turn it into more than a dollar. That, that's our only job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, have a, I have a massive, massive disdain for, for any of the academic stuff about cost of capital. So you're going to take Charlie Munger over me. Let's not answer that question. Okay, let's move on. Let, um, uh, <laughs> no, I think, look, I think I, you're, you're right. And I think there is, there is some tangential benefit to that. And when there are companies that do ready to raise cash, you are dead right. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a net, there probably is, frankly, a net benefit to being ethical if you choose to, in the sense that for those companies, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Yep. For those companies, it does matter, then it will actually have an impact. So net, net, we can argue, we can both, I think, agree that it does have 
by definition, some impact overall. I think it's relatively minor. I think people do it because they want to feel good, and that's great. I think the chance that it has a material impact on the markets, their portfolio, the companies, I think that's relatively small. Uh, so I'm going to disagree with you again. Cool. Um, look, I, but basically, I, I, there's not a big disagree. You think you would have learned the first at, time, at, at, a, at a large, At a high level, you're largely right, for better or worse. <laughs> Did, for, was that hard to worse, say? Was that hard to say? <laughs> to choke <laughs> the I just want to know out. if it's better to be largely right or technically right. <laughs> technically right is always the best kind of right. Okay. Largely right is just a concession that you throw. You, you, throw, you throw Scott a bone every now and again. <laughs> oh, and, and, they was fighting words. And, and, and what I would say is that this. There are, there, are, there are certain companies out there that operate in a way that might be legal mm -hmm. but unethical. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that can really come back to bite you because yes. you're operating on the fringes here. Something comes undone. Yep. And it, it's not that it's just that we don't feel good about it right. or we don't like about it. It gets to a point where people stop buying your product yes. or people stop supporting your service. And then that's when it has a very, very direct impact to the bottom line. Okay. Case in point, Facebook was the one you mentioned before. Big yes, so Jim Carrey very famously came out earlier this year, late last year. Noted investor. Noted, <laughs> noted investor, Jim Carrey, uh, came out and basically said, I'm selling all my Facebook shares. Did somebody stop me? Um, What's that? He didn't say somebody no, stopped me. No, he didn't. Okay. He didn't. Um, took me a while to get that there reference. There we go. <laughs> um, and, and there's actually a bit of a movement around this right, where people right. are saying, these guys are dodgy in terms of their role in the US election and how they get money and what they do with personal data. Mm -hmm. and, and, and and now there's, there's, there's uh, uh, ructions in the ructions. European Union about That's saying, un hey. Underused word, ructions. I love ructions. Yes. Uh, ructions. Um, uh, and... And, and, and people, the, the, the lawmakers, um, uh, regulators are now looking at these companies yep. and, and it is potentially having a very, very real financial impact because of their ethical behavior. We need to move on, but what, I'm going I'm I'm to just make a point. No, we don't. We don't need to move on. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I think you're right, but I think that's different. Wait a second. You, 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 you think I'm worse? I missed that line. <laughs> companies that don't manage to operate in a way that society likes is a definite problem. Yep. But that's different from being an ethical investor for mine. I can be completely unethical on a personal level and say, I think Facebook's going to run into trouble with lawmakers, therefore I'm not going to invest in it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have a view on their ethical. Ethical is a value judgment. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking forward to any company, I'm saying, does Facebook profit? Is it likely to be higher or lower in five years' time with all the things that are going to be affected, including regulatory pressure? Mm -hmm. I can make that decision separately. So I'm not investing on ethical grounds. I am including the company's ability to grow or not, be constrained by legal forces or not. Um, uh, you know, Radio Rentals, right? A company owned by Thorn Group. Uh, we both recommended it once upon a time. We both sold it from our services. Um, Thank God yeah, we sold that, that was a dog of a stock. But here's the thing. So you know, people argue it's ethical. Companies. Some argue it's unethical. It wasn't, I didn't sell it for either of those reasons. I didn't buy it because it was ethical or unethical. I didn't sell it. because. I, but what I saw was, as you say, people moving away from this, regulatory pressure coming down the pike. Mm. This didn't have a future. I think you can do that and say you can take society's ethics or even regulatory pressure into account without having to say, I'm investing in this because it is or isn't yeah. ethical under some other framework. Man, there's so much to talk about there, Isn't but, there? but we are we're getting not. dangerously low on time. <laughs> Let, let's let's. I guess the the the, sum, well, the summation here is I'm right. you should invest in a way that is um, aligned with your own ethical standpoint, and just bear in mind that there can be real world economic impacts on. Value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. 
I'm going to skip the high horse, mate. You're um, not. I am. I'm going to skip the high horse. Dear, oh dear. Uh, because, frankly, that's always a good. That's always a good filler when we don't have enough just, just material quite, to talk about. Just quietly, do I'm not skipping in next week. I don't care how long we go. <laughs> I get one jump. chance every fortnight to jump on my high horse, and I'm not missing out. God damn it. Well, I, I just there was enough. We got a we got a great mailbag question. We we tried to get to it last week, and and we're very quickly going to. I know the time. Uh, but, you've, you've you've avoided the the short high horse for a long dissertation on. Oh well, I thought, I thought we could do this one pretty quickly. Um, and and, and Dave the Happy. <laughs> Singer on Twitter at Happy Singer. Uh, thanks, Dave, for the question. It was a really good one. Liam, have we ever done anything quickly on this podcast? Ooh, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give Andrew a chance here. Should we, hey, do we, thank do, you. Have you got some Oscars playoff mate, you're not, music? By the way, you're not helping with the time here. By by, by mate, saying I, this. I bring the comedy, dude. You bring the serious stuff. All right. I, I want some. I want some playoff Oscars music from Liam. So I'll have it on know. standby. There we go. All right. All right. Okay. I'm doing air quotes as I say comedy <laughs> right now. Um, uh, and, and Dave says, I'd be interested in your thoughts on evaluating management. Nigel, that's a great question. I really wanted to get to it last week. So I apologize for that, Dave. We, we, Sorry, we Dave. will dig into it now. Shortish to keep Scott happy. <laughs> and, 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 uh, how do you do that? So a lot of the stuff we do, it is, is in financial statements. It's in annual reports. It's all this kind of stuff. But at, at the end of the day, you've mm. got, you've got people running this business and, and the, the, the aptitudes, the qualities, the skills of these people are phenomenally, phenomenally important yeah. drivers of shareholder return. Yep. So as we've sort well, of joked about before, they you can be. Well, you put me in charge of Berkshire Hathaway, that thing is dead in 10 years' time, <laughs> right? You put Buffett <laughs> lives for another 10 years and then it, it's going to do wonderfully well. So, so this like he runs an investment service, the Motley Fool. <laughs> yeah, but I'm no Buffett. Let's just be, <laughs> let's just be honest. And um, just, oh, by the way, do you like my t shirt? I do. I, well, I'll take a photo after this podcast okay. on the Twitter. Okay. Now. okay. Yeah. If listeners, here's a bit of interactivity for you. Liam's doing a great job with Instagram on the Rush Hour with MG. I'm going to try a really, really lame version of that because we don't have Instagram. We have Twitter, which is kind of like Instagram, but without many pictures. So I'm going to tweet that out from okay. at the Motley Fool AU. You can have a look at viewers and let us know uh, your view on Andrew's T-shirt. Yes or no? It's a little, I'm just going to say tongue-in-cheek. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Or is it? So anyway, so um, uh, how do you evaluate it? Okay, let's, let's, let's go uh, one for one here. I'm going to start off by saying I think skin in the game is a hugely important factor. When I see management that have a significant number of shares, in other words... You know, a reasonable proportion of their personal wealth tied up in the business, I think their interests are highly aligned. And I'd add a little wrinkle on that as well. It's not just about having shares, but it, I always prefer it when, com when the, the CEO uh, or the senior executive you're talking about has actually bought those shares with their own money, not, not just free rights issues that they've been granted. And that still, still helps. But when you've gone on market and you've bought a reasonable number of shares, you are very much aligned to shareholder interest. This is a long shot topic, dude. Keep going. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin in this. One part of this conversation, okay. I'll, I'll ask you, to say that I actually don't know that management is always as important as people think. Let me leave that. Oh, we'll come back to okay. that. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. In terms of evaluating that. management, the next thing I would look at is, and this is obvious, right, but track record. And I think yes. track record, not just over the short term and not even just in one business. You know, trying to work out the difference between a manager who has been lucky because he's invested in a business with a great tailwind. Mm -hmm. If you'd invested in iron ore stocks in 2008, or you manage an iron ore company, you couldn't do badly for three years. You were just you were a genius, right? Because the iron ore price skyrocketed. Yep. Any knucklehead with a mine and a, and a dump truck could, could make money in the iron ore space. Yep. If you've done it multiple times in multiple businesses and preferably even across multiple industries, yes. and we'll call that one guy, Bevan Slattery here, who uh, started uh, bought, bought Pipe Network, started mm. Next DC, started Megaport and Superloop. This guy's a mm. serial entrepreneur mm. so far with really, really good results. So he's, yeah. doing, he's doing a good job. Yeah, I'm a fan. Um, uh, you know, so... Look for track record, ideally for a long period of time, and ideally even better across multiple companies or multiple industries. I really like as as a as a uh, false positive. 
uh, yeah, I think that's the right term. Uh, and and the, the, the manager that isn't focused on share price. And, and yeah. we often in our game, we actually, we actually do get CEOs reach out to us and say, you know, they'd like to talk about the share price. And in, in, in other words, yeah. they're, they're charged with running the business, but they're spending, rather than spending, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday, <laughs> working on this, the sales and marketing right. team and right. improving product design, making serious, smart, long-term capital allocation decisions. Mm-hmm. They're out there talking to analysts, trying to promote their business and why the share should be worth more. Yeah. And that to me is a complete, uh, that is an alarm bell loud and clear because that shows you where their focus is and it's not in the right area. Absolutely. We, Go ahead. I'm going to throw one more, which is candor. And oh, that yes. is management yeah. who are prepared to tell you the truth no matter what. Yes. When you have a company who comes out and says, this is what's going on, I want you to know, Buffett talks about in, their investors as partners in the business. Yep. And if, you, you're, if your CEO is treating you like a partner, there's a very, very good chance you're getting it straight. Excellent. Mate, um, let's leave it there. Before I think get the uh, playoff music going. Some really wonderful. There we go. <laughs> and I'd like to thank our Lord and Saviour. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Motley Fool's Triple M's. Oh, I got that wrong. Triple M's Motley Fool Money Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to us through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. And Andrew, you should. And you should. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a big fat five star rating on iTunes and tell all your friends. Indeed. Uh, and you, if you want a bit of extra foolish goodness, you can go to. Fool.com.au slash triple M. Triple M. Until next time, <laughs> full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.